Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. Already finished? I mean, you're not, you're not coming here trying to figure out how to get God to give you stuff. Because he's already given it to you. There are just a few things that I'm going to say every week, and that's one of them. <laughs> Amen? <clears throat> now, the issue is, why am I not experiencing it? Right? I think that's where a lot of our teaching is around, is the idea of, I see the promises. I'm not experiencing them. I want to transition into a place where I am experiencing what Jesus did for me. I, it's all great and wonderful. You're up there telling me that he finished it. But my, I'm hurting right now. My loved ones are hurting. I've got sickness. I've got debt. I've got whatever, right? Life happens. So how do I take all of this good news and actually experience it? Well, it, it just happens as you believe it. That's the short answer. But that's kind of frustrating, right? So here's the thing <clears throat> that I want to do for you and in my ministry as a teacher and as a pastor, but for you to be able to hear this, is that the instruction that you hear as a believer should be applied to the heart, not your behavior. You understand the difference? Now, I'm not saying you don't make changes in your behavior. I mean, some of you, <clears throat> it's, it's a good thing to modify your behavior, not to try to produce righteousness or prove holiness. But just maybe, you know, if you're a jerk, you might need to put forth a little effort to stop being a jerk. <laughs> if you're doing things you just know are wrong, stop it. But that's not what preaching is about. Do this, don't do that. This is about how can I take the promise? How can I take what Jesus has accomplished and actually experience it? So any instruction that you get, whether it be from a legalistic mixed covenant or gospel-focused place. It doesn't matter how, where it's coming from. Your job is to hear it in such a way, how can I apply this to my heart? How can I hear this and not just make it, not just listen in such a way where it makes me focused on my sin or make me think that I'm not doing enough in this area or I'm doing pretty good in this area, but no, how does it affect my heart? <clears throat> what I mean by that is this, does it remind you of what Jesus has done for you? Does the instruction and the teaching that you're hearing from the radio, from the TV, from your books, from me, from anywhere, when it comes into your ears, does it bring you to a place where you look at Jesus and you say, yes, it's finished. Now I'm going to walk backwards from there. And as I do, I'm going to bump into things, but I'm going to start to try to rearrange things in my thinking, in my life to line up with where I started. And I'm starting with the finished work of Jesus. Does that make sense? I mean, I kind of know I just dove right into this. I didn't set it up all that much. But the reason is, is because you are complete in Christ. And you start there. And then you step backwards from there to look at the rest of your life. See, what we do is we stand far from God and we're looking at Him and we're thinking that would be nice to have all of those promises in my life. But this is where I'm standing, Lord. And you just have to bridge the gap and step into him and then walk backwards from there. Then take steps away from him 
towards your life, and you know what I mean by away from Him, you start to gain perspective after having looked at His face to the degree that that's all you see. Then you go into your life and deal with your stuff. Don't stand in the perspective of your problem and look at Him and then judge, why is this not happening, Lord? Because we're going to talk today practically about some things about why it might not be happening for you. So when I give you some of this instruction, it's not a legalistic thing. It's when this is applied to my heart, I should deal with my attitudes. I should deal with my judgmental issues. I should deal with my, un, my forgetfulness of what he's done for me, right? You know, <clears throat> for this message, but also for your Christian life, the rest of your life as you hear teaching, don't listen to it with carnal ears. Listen to it with spiritual ears, knowing that you're already complete in Christ. And how can this get my heart more to a place where I'm not limiting what he wants to do through me? Will you make that deal with me? Listen with spiritual ears. Look with spiritual eyes. Start from a place of completeness. Then how can this instruction better align my heart with what he's already done? That's what I want to do. I want to help you get your heart and your mind in agreement with what he's already accomplished in the spiritual dimension. See, because God is not fickle. God's not reactionary. You know what I mean? Like, he's not looking at you and saying, okay, you did this, so now I have to do this. Or you did this, so now I get to do this as to reward or withhold. That's not how God is relating to you. God has placed everything that he has for you in you in Christ, if you said yes to Jesus, and he's constant, and he's ever-present, and he's always giving you enough grace to walk out of whatever carnal issue you find yourself in the middle of. So you have to start there. Some of us just need to repent. In other words, change the way that we think about God. We think God is out there, and he's relating to us based on our behavior. You ever felt that way? You ever, you ever think, okay, something's going wrong in my life. What did I do, God, for you to not show up and help me? You ever felt like that? Yes. Well, that's just carnal thinking. That's not true. That's not reality. That's just condemnation that we live with. The real true character of God is that he lives in you. He's like an endless river rising up within you, to, and water seeks out open spots. God is in you and will go anywhere you let him go. So you're not trying to get God to do things. You're just trying to become confident in what he's already done. That's faith. Faith is a response to what he's already done. So what we've been talking about the past couple of weeks here is really the idea of obedience from the heart. And when you get down to what obedience really means, it means confidence. It means to be confident toward him, confident in what he has already done. See, you've got to think of your salvation as something that Jesus did, not something that you're trying to do, not something that you're trying to get from him, but he did it. He experienced salvation, and you participate in what he has experienced, right? Now, there are some things that cause us to not participate in that. 
Not that he's withholding it. Not that he moves you out of that circle. But you yourself in your own heart cause yourself to not participate in what he's already done for you. You step into carnal thinking. You step into condemnation. You step into guilt and shame. And out of life, righteousness, peace, joy. Do you see that? So why do we do that? And where do we do that? I'm just going to talk about one area today. I want to talk about the idea of, of thankfulness, the idea of gratitude. Because you, you guys want to obey God, right? What, what you're really saying is, biblically, if you study that out, you're saying, I want to be confident in God. And that, that's the thing. I think more than anything, the enemy has slipped into this world and robbed our confidence of who God is. Did God really say this garden was perfect and all you got to do is wake up and steward what he's given you. That's God's idea of life. He gave you everything. Your job is to wake up and then just steward it according to the way that he designed it to work. It's the same thing with spiritual truth as well. Wake up and steward what he's given you in that spirit place so that it will bear fruit in your life. His, his spirit is trying constantly to grow blessing and provision and comfort and righteousness and joy into your life. You don't have to convince him to do it. That's just what he does. That's what his spirit does. When his spirit has unlimited access to something, it just makes things better. Say that with me. God makes things better. God makes things so just let him in. Amen? Amen? But it's interesting with thankfulness because thankfulness causes you to turn your eyes away from him to your circumstances. Unthankfulness does. Unthankfulness causes you to stop looking at him and start looking at the problem. Almost to where the problem begins to be more comfortable than the solution. See, thankfulness means that you're willing to stretch and grow because you're willing to see things differently than the way they presently really already are. You're willing to be thankful, yes, for what you have, but also for what you don't have, in, but it's in promise form. You know what I'm saying? Like every promise is a yes for you. Are you thankful for the promises that have not yet manifested into your life? See, what we've done is we've carnalized thankfulness. I'm thankful for my shoes. I'm thankful for my car. I'm thankful for my house. And it's all physical, right? It's all material things. Now, I'm thankful for that stuff, and we should be thankful. I'm not trying to say you're doing it wrong. That's not the point. But it's like, are we thankful for God? You know, not just the things that he's given us. Are we thankful for him? Are we thankful for Jesus? Are we thankful in the resurrection? Are we, is that the focus of our, is, is, is our appreciation for what Jesus has done, the root that drives our thankfulness for everything else. You see what I'm saying? It's the resurrection. It's, it's experiencing life with him that we want to be thankful for and walk in and live in. So I want to kind of talk around that a little bit today. Let's look at um, Colossians 2.6. I'm doing my thankfulness message after Thanksgiving 
That's all right, right? I'm much better, by the way. I know my story last week was a little crazy. I had to pass the kidney stone week four last, and I was in pain for about a week. I passed it in less than 24 hours, so praise God for that. I'm over the soreness. I'm back to normal. Yay, Jesus. So Colossians 2.6, watch what he does. He ties, this is Paul. Paul ties faith to thankfulness. And remember, faith is to think to be true. Faith is not this thing that you've got to get from God and then you have more of it, right? Like the idea of weakness where weak faith or little faith, strong faith, big faith. The measurement of faith is not how much you have. It's to what degree are you confident in what God has done in Jesus that determines your measure of faith, how strong your faith is. Not, I've got faith that can, you know, you've heard it taught, I've got faith where I can get headaches healed, but I can't get this big old bill paid. I don't have that kind of faith yet. You've heard that taught? That's just, that's carnal. That's, that is religious. Sounds nice, preaches nice, but it puts you on the path of trying to figure out how to be better at being spiritual. We'll get there. I'm going to keep going here. So verse 6, So then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, how did you receive him? By faith. faith. Continue your lives in him. So this is what we want to do. Continue our life in Christ, in faith. In other words, being confident in him. In fact, when you read the Bible over the next month, I kind of like to pause there because it's like, wait a minute. I don't know if I read my Bible last month. It's all right. There's no condemnation. It's that big Bible. It's about this thick. You know, it's got a lot of pages. Sometimes it's... Anyway. You got a Bible, right? Say, I will read my Bible. There you go. I know we got 927 translations on our phone. You can find one. I know you love me. All right, so when you read your Bible and you run across this word faith or believe, put a different word in there that just says trust or confident in. Because we've, we've had a religious understanding of what faith is. It's like this mystical concept. Of, I'm not sure really. I don't know how to do faith, you know. But really it's he's already finished salvation. How confident are you in what he's done? That's faith. That's what measures how strong your faith is. So that is how you live in him, and it should produce a heart, verse 7, that is full of thankfulness. Verse 7, the next one. So we're living in him, rooted and built up in him. He says it twice there, in him twice. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Now, why is thankfulness so important? Go to Hebrews 3, 7. You can learn a lot from the Israelites and what they went through, you know, mostly what not to do, but you learn a lot anyway. So I want you to watch a couple of things as we look at what the the Israelites went through as Moses was delivering them out of Egypt, 40 years wandering in the desert. Now, you got to remember, millions of people... Every day, they woke up and they had enough food to eat. There are a lot of people on the planet, they don't have that. Every day, they woke up and their shoes didn't even wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. Now, if you walked nearly every day in the desert, 
your shoes would probably wear out after a couple of years, maybe 40 years. It's so interesting that God would put little details like that in there for us. And there were no sick people among them. 40 years. Have you gone 40 years without being sick? Well, they did. I mean, that's amazing. All right, so that's the picture that we're looking at here. In that setting, this is what they did. But pay attention, they did it in their hearts. This is what we don't want to do. Say, I don't want to do this. <laughs> All right, verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, and just go ahead and click next and follow me on through. Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. Time of testing. Go ahead to the next one. Where your ancestors tested and tried me. See, this is a big point. A lot of times this stuff is taught where it was God testing them. You ever heard that part? Had it taught that way? That See, the children of Israel were going through a test. God was just testing them to see if they were counted worthy to be. Well, they were the ones testing God. And I hear the cow. That religious cow died another death. But it's true. They tested God. How did they test God? They hardened their hearts. How did they harden their hearts? They complained for the situation that they were in. What situation were they in? They had food every day. They had clothes. They had shoes. But they didn't have the meat that they wanted. They didn't have the security of bondage. You know what I'm saying? They didn't have the familiarity of knowing that at least we can have different things to eat. It's so silly where we get our unthankfulness from, you know? And again, I'm not just saying carnalize your thankfulness in your shoes and your house, but it's the attitude, the heart that you have toward God. They were in unthankfulness because they hardened their heart after he had already done some things for them. They didn't focus on what he did for them. They complained where they were. So the point that I'm trying to get to here is that because they hardened their hearts, they weren't able to let themselves enter into the promised land. All right, so let's keep going. So they saw what he did for 40 years, verse 10. That is why I was angry with that generation. Now let me just pause here for a second. That generation was under the old covenant. Amen? Amen. God promised that after the Messiah that he would no longer be angry with us and no longer rebuke us. So this is talking about a group of people that were under a different covenant. God is not angry with you if you slide into unthankfulness. God is not going to rebuke you if you do anything in your heart toward him. All he wants to do is help you believe what he's already done. Do you see that? There's a lot of areas where we have to get our mind into the new covenant, especially when we read stuff like this. Because sometimes people will read stuff like this and think, oh, I better watch out. God's going to withhold. I'm not going to enter into my promises because of what I'm doing. No, Jesus is the promise. Jesus has completed it. He lives within you. It's all already yours. That's just the fundamental shift we've got to make in our mind, understanding the new covenant. All right, so their hearts were always, see, it's about the heart. God looks on the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. Always, even under the old covenant, God was a heart God. God wanted their hearts involved. Jesus came and fulfilled the completeness of the law, 
from the heart. I know I'm kind of all over the place, but this is a good point here. This is good preaching. You ever thought, you looked at the law and think, it's all about the sacrifices and all about the penalties and all about this, but then you look at Jesus and you don't really put the two together. Jesus lived under the law perfectly. Did you see him going down doing any sacrifices? No. You know why? Because he didn't enter into sin. Jesus fulfilled the execution perfectly of the law, but what it showed you is to love God and love people. That's what the law was for, to teach you and guide you how to live a loving life toward people and God on this planet. Now, because it was dependent upon flesh, there were also a lot of penalties involved, but Jesus lived under the law. Jesus showed us what it could have looked like for them to have lived under the law. Wasn't so bad, was it? Uh, except for if you sin, you die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the law was never given for righteousness. It was given to teach you how to live on this planet. Jesus did it perfectly for you. Not that the law doesn't apply to you, but it, now it should be birthed in your heart. Now you should follow him from your heart because Christ lives in you. So when you harden your heart... Just like these guys, when they would harden their hearts, they couldn't enter into a blessing that God was trying to get them into. Us, when we harden our hearts, we stop God from growing the blessing into our lives. God doesn't say, oh, you've sinned, now I can't bless you. What happens, let's keep going here, verse 11. <clears throat> so I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Now, this is a very interesting phrase here, what he's saying. He's not saying because they did this, I'm going to withhold something from them. What he's doing is he's making a declaration, recognizing where they had gotten themselves. Okay. So what he's saying is, because you guys have hardened your heart, I'm declaring you can't enter into my rest. I, 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 he's not withholding it. He's just saying, this is where you've gotten yourself. This is the bed that you've made. You're going to have to lay in it. You get that, right? Because he wanted them to go into the promised land, but they wouldn't let themselves. In fact, a little further in a different place in Hebrews, it says that they couldn't enter into the promised land. You would think that it would quote this oath and say, because God was angry with them, but that's not what it says. What it says is because they didn't mix faith in their heart with the promise. The reason that the Israelites didn't experience the full blessing that was promised to them is because in their heart, they didn't mix faith with what God promised them. They hardened their hearts. They blocked God from giving them everything that he wanted to give them. Do you see that? We actually still do the same thing. It's not God taking his hand off. It's him looking at us going, look, you've got that. You've got, I've given it to you. Now believe it, repent and believe so that it will be established in your life. All right, so keep going. Verse 12 here. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. I love it because you have to read between the lines. He's not saying, see to it that you don't sin. I mean, he doesn't want you to sin. Obviously, sin destroys, sin kills, but he's dealing with the heart. He's dealing with a deeper level. See to it that you don't have an... So what is a sinful heart? We think a sinful heart, oh, I'm, you want to do all these bad things. No, the root of a sinful heart is unbelieving. So... Don't have the unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, verse 13, but encourage one another daily, 
as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We're going to go all the way through 15. We have come to share in Christ. Now, this is where we're going. Think about this phrase for a minute. We have come to share in Christ. What does that mean? Share in Christ. Share in. All right, so that's where we're going. Don't, hold, don't lose that thought. If indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end, verse 15, as has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. So we want to share in Christ. Hardening your heart causes you to not share in Christ. Complaining about where you are and not being thankful for what God has done causes you to harden your heart, therefore causes you to not share in Christ. All right? Is that pretty clear? How do you avoid that situation? I mean, it, this is, we're not talking rocket science here. We're just talking some pretty simple information. You develop thankfulness in your heart. You develop a thankful attitude toward God in your heart. What that does is it opens your heart to be able to receive the blessing rather than hardening through complaining, not letting him build. The... See, because when you're complaining, what you're doing is you're looking at the physical things in your life and you're magnifying the problem and you're making the problem an idol and you're looking at this thing saying, this is my reality. I'm letting this thing tell me how to feel and what I feel is going to be what drives what I believe, and what I believe is going to be brought into my life, and I'm going to have more of that. That's what complaining does, is it causes you to look at and make something else Lord in your life other than Jesus. So what we want to do is share in Christ. You want to identify with Christ. We want to repent. We want to change the way that we're thinking and get out of that carnal mindset into the mind of Christ so we're thinking like him. We begin to see the world like God sees. We see ourselves like he sees. And what we're really thankful for is the one thing, and that is Jesus came here, lived a perfect sinless life, took upon himself your nature, became your sin on that cross, took your sickness, took your disease, took your sorrow, took your pain, took the penalty for breaking the law upon him, went into the grave, conquered the devil, conquered death, rose again, took his own blood, kicked out the devil, and then turns to you and says, now you can enter through me, and when you enter through me, you get everything that I got. Every victory that Jesus won, you get when you come to heaven through Christ. So spiritually, you're in the middle of it. You're already sharing in it, but why is it not in your life? Well, one reason might be unthankfulness. That's where we discipline our minds and our hearts. You know, We're not going to flip into physical effort to try to get a spiritual blessing. You know what I'm saying? What we're dealing with is attitudes. This goes back to what I was saying in the beginning. When you hear instruction... Don't let it become a legalistic thing for you in that, okay, now I've got to be thankful. No, it's let me deal with the attitudes of my heart. But see, there's a very, very, very easy way to develop thankfulness in your heart, and that is you consider the resurrection. You believe the gospel. You bring it all back to what Jesus has done. I mean, I, I, I know I'm saying this a lot lately, but I so want us to get this. I want to live from this myself. I want my faith to be 
fully rooted in what Jesus has already done. And to the degree that I am thankful for that and I, and I connect with that and I see that and I'm experiencing that personally, I will share in what he earned and what he gained. It, it's so powerful. Nobody can really teach you how to do it. It's you living in him from your heart. So I want you to learn how to hear God for yourself, not have to have somebody prophesy to you. I praise God for prophecy. But, but we need to grow up. Believers need to learn how to grow up. And it's not just cleaning up your behavior. It's cleaning up your attitude toward him. It's cleaning up what we allow to affect us. It's being responsible for the input that you receive from the world. It's, you know, it's daily waking up and saying, okay, this is how I feel. Why am I feeling like this? What have I allowed to influence me that I would feel this way? Maybe it's something that someone said to you. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's relational. I'm feeling this way because my relationship is this way, okay? Can't do anything about that relationship, but I promise you, if you begin to feel about yourself in agreement with the resurrection, it's going to give you the potential to change the relationship. You, you see that? See, what we, we were like, let me figure out how to fix this relationship is what we do. We run to some carnal thing. It's like, no, focus on what he's done for you. You'll experience transformation. It will affect that. Some of us, it might be physical. There might be a tumor. There might be a serious disease. And it is causing you to feel a certain way. It is causing you to feel fear, causing you to feel whatever. I mean, it might be painful even. And that's real. But it's the same solution. You're not denying the problem. You're not trying to make God change the problem. You are just shifting your focus so that what Jesus did is more influential than that physical thing in your body. Will Jesus ever change? Will your physical body change? Which one's more real? It's your choice. Which one are you going to focus on and let influence you? Do you see that? Now, there's another interesting aspect to this, and I, I want to end on a promise, and I'm going to give you a little bit of teaching in the middle of this promise. But let's look at Romans 8, 17. Because we hear this good news, and then you go out there and you try and have these conversations, and you're like, it sounded really good in church, but I can't explain it back that way. You know, I, That's not because I'm a better communicator. It's just because some areas we haven't thought through this, or maybe even maybe you haven't been taught, so I want to teach you something that will help you today. I know that all of you have been through this situation where you hear a good news, and you're like, man, I want to tell the world I'm a joint heir with Jesus, and then some person, let's just call him that, who knows the Bible, comes and says, okay, well, read the rest of this, the suffering's part, remember, so you've got to suffer with him to experience it, because let's read this, let's read this. This is Romans 8, 17, now, if we are children, then we are heirs Heirs of God. So say that. I inherited God. That's one of the things that we're going to push out to you this week on the app. I know we only did one last week, but get the app, turn on push notifications, and we'll send you some two or three things this week. I inherited God, and we are joint heirs with Jesus. We are co-heirs with Jesus. Everything Jesus inherited, you inherited. That's Bible, right? 
All right? If, okay, here we go. No, but I'm serious. This is, you'll struggle with this because you'll get in these conversations. You start talking about, I'm a joint heir with Jesus, everything he's got, I've got. And then they say, okay, well, you, what about this if right here? This is how you answer the if. If we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. All right. Remember, share in Christ. Can you do anything that Christ did to earn salvation, righteousness, holiness, sanctification? Can you do anything to earn what he accomplished? But you want to share in what he accomplished. This is kind of the idea that we're looking at here. It's just unfortunate that they translated it, sufferings, because this phrase, share in his sufferings, it's only in the Bible twice, two times, both in the New Testament. The other time, the word is not even translated as suffering. It's translated as to identify with or we are in it together. The idea of this, where they've translated it sufferings, is the body of Christ, what one went through, we're all going through together. So you see brothers and sisters in other countries that are going through persecution, you identify with that, right? That's your brother. That's your sister. They are going through something, and you feel their pain. You're sharing in their suffering. Are you going through the suffering? They're going through the suffering. They're the one that's going through it. Now, watch. You do this all the time. You share in sufferings. I, want to, I just want to solidify what this means to share in sufferings with Christ because we've been taught that it means you've got to suffer like he suffered, then you can have something, right? You suffer with things all the time, right? You watch a movie. This is sharing and sufferings. You watch a movie, right? You might even get to the spot where you start rooting for the bad guy. You know what I'm saying? You watch a movie, and the bad guy is the hero. And then you catch yourself, and you're like, wait a minute, this guy's the bad guy. This guy's the Russian spy. Why do I like him? You know? That's not a political statement. That was just something I watched recently. You begin to feel and care about this character on the screen. You might even cry. Now, I know none of you men do that. But think about it. This is what you're doing. You're sharing in their suffering. This is, this is what this phrase means. You've got to get suffering, going through something bad out of your mind as part of this definition, and, and change it, repent, have, have a little bit of repentance here on what this scripture means. You're connecting to what this person is going through. Even in reality, you think about it. You know, I, I know Caitlin is, is working in a field where people experience horrific situations where they're locked in a room and forced to do things that no person should ever have to do. And you think about it to the degree that you're like, you start to think, what are they going through? What would they think? What would it be like? What, and and you, you, you put yourself in their place and you connect with what they've gone through, even though you're not the one going through it. This is the idea that we're talking about. The word here in the Greek, and I've got it in my notes. I couldn't, it's somewhere in here. But it's, it's the Greek word, sympacho, sympacho, something like that. That's what it sounds like in the Greek. But it's where we get the word sympathy or empathy to identify with. Now, this is very biblical 
When you really look at what it's saying here, it's not saying you got to suffer because Christ suffered so you can get some things from God. What it's saying is Jesus went through this for you. Can you identify with him as yourself having gone through that so that you can also share in the benefit? See, because your heart's got to be involved. This is all about the heart. Can you get your heart to a place where you see what he went through on the cross as for you. Now, under the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, uh, people would bring their sacrifices to the priest. And you would, you, in your heart, you, would, you were supposed to go through this process that they would call shmikah, with a K, not shmitah, where everybody's losing their minds thinking that God's got some mystical thing where he's judging everybody. Some of you have not heard that, but <laughs> shmikah. And shmikah was this. It was a process. It was an engagement that you were supposed to experience. When you took your sacrifice to the priest, the priest would ceremonially remove your sin off of you and put it onto the sacrifice. This was atonement, and it was temporary. You were supposed to look at this sacrifice and identify with This is something that God has given me so that my sins can temporarily be atoned. And I'm looking at this sacrifice and the representative of God is removing my sin from me and putting it on this animal. And then it it, it executes the sacrifice and you see the blood spilled and you look at at that blood and you say, that should have been me. And so you then, because of the atonement had been made, you received the benefit of the the temporary covering of your sin. You received the benefit of what this sacrifice went through for you. Now, God wanted their hearts involved. Even back then, the old covenant wasn't just supposed to be this legalistic thing. It's like you just come to the altar, throw your bird down, and you walk away. It's like you take care of it, man of God. No, you were supposed to be involved in this process. This is what we do with Jesus. We share in his sufferings. We look at what he did to the degree that you see him and you can play that movie in your mind. Just like you watch a movie on TV and you feel what those characters are going through, you should be, I very rarely say you should, but I'm going to say it right now, you should be able to think about what Jesus went through for you. And, you know, watch The Passion of the Christ or something like that. Watch what he went through and and participate in your heart, in your soul with what he went through. Feel what it feels like to have been punished for your sin in him. Feel what it feels like for him to have gone into the grave and beat death. I mean, you think death's the strongest thing that's out there, right? Jesus' faith was stronger than death. Death could not hold Jesus into the grave because his faith was stronger than death. Do you feel that faith within you? And it's not just about feelings. It's about identifying with what he did. It's about repenting. It's about getting out of your mindset into what he thinks, into how he sees things. Stepping from warring, like Adam said, stepping from praying and worshiping for victory to worshiping and praying from victory. Rather than your prayer being, God, will you, it's God, thank you. Because it's finished. Say it's finished. 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 Now we want to share in it, don't you? Don't you want to share in it? You got to get your heart involved. 
you got to participate in this. You, you understand? It's not from a legalistic perspective. See, a lot of us, what we do is we look at the promises and we say, okay, God, you said that. Now show me. Show up and do something. Like the Israelites, they tested God. We don't engage him at a heart level. We, we live in our carnal thinking. We live in our materialistic world, and we look at our world, and we say, God, you promised, but this is not changing. Why are you not doing something, God? You ever done that? You've done that. We've all done that. I've done that. Every day, many times we do that. We, we get disappointed because we think God let us down. No. Get your heart involved. Get, become engaged identify with what he's done for you. Now, what it will do is it will produce transformation in your life. You'll just look around and notice. I love some of the stories that we have here. Some of you people that don't have church backgrounds, man, I love these stories because people are telling me that you're saying things like, you know what, this just, I just don't want to do this anymore. This has just kind of changed. You know, I just think I want this in my life. And it's all because of the influence of God transforming you beyond you legalistically trying to do jump through some magic hoops to make God do something. Are you engaged? You know, are you participating? I, it's, it, it's eat, you know, what I went through, I had a moment where I saw Jesus on the cross. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. I had a vision. I had a moment where I, trans, I was translated from the power of darkness into his kingdom. My born-again experience for me was I saw a vision. Some people call it an open vision. I don't know about all that stuff. It's just like I could see Jesus. And it was like I was looking back through time <clears throat> couple thousand years ago, and, and he was on that cross, and he was looking at me. And it's like I just, I just knew that when he was on that cross, he could see me 2,000 years in the future. Like, I don't know if God did that for him. You know, because it says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That's what I see. I see Jesus looking into the future while he's hanging on that cross, and he sees every person on the planet that, that was what I saw. I go back to that a lot, you know. I'm not interested in trying to learn a bunch of new things. I just don't want to let go of what transformed me. And what is it that you're going to let transform you? That's, that's where we are. Man, of course stay out of sin. Of course do, the th do, do good things. But more than anything, engage your heart with what Jesus has done for you because that will transform you. That will keep you focused. That will keep you on the path. It will, it will bring such security that even the things that you want in this life, they'll, they'll come to you in such a way where there's no, there's no struggle with it. There's no pain with it. Things are just added to you in a situation like this. In a heart attitude like this, stuff just gets added to you. Jobs, spouses, the right friends in your life the right homes, the right cars, the right whatever, that stuff then gets added. That's, all, of course, all side benefit that happens. But, you know, we're looking at that stuff saying, I don't have this, God, so I need to do something to get this. No, that stuff gets added to you. It just gets added to you. It does. It's a promise. He says, seek first the kingdom. Everything else will be added to you. Matthew 6, 33. Do you believe that? Yep. Yeah. 
Well, because some of y'all don't seem like you believe that, based on some conversations that I've had with some of y'all at some other building <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> well, yeah, that sounds good, but you know, I want this. <clears throat> okay, well, he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There are people that are critical of this kind of way of thinking. It's like, well, you just, where's the suffering? Where's the repentance? Where's the sin? Where's the, it's like, that's all in the carnal realm. I'm talking about spiritual stuff. Let's compare spiritual with spiritual. Yeah, we can preach on the carnal level if you want, but I'd rather have the conversation on the spiritual level and live from that place. We want to share in Christ. We want to experience the benefit of being God's child. We want to know what it looks like to be an heir of God. I mean, I'm not trying to just be dramatic, but it's like, you inherited God? What? You know, you, you can't, you can't, you can't. There are no words. So what does that look for you? How do you do that? How do you engage God at a heart level? Again, it's different for everybody. You can go stare at a tree and the process of photosynthesis is just such a magical thing for you that you're thinking, man, this thing takes in a poisonous gas and gives me life because God told it to. You can watch The Passion of the Christ and watch Jesus going through what he went through in that movie and, and, and think, my goodness, he did that for me. I remember that was one of the first things that I, that I understood about the cross was that he did that for me. Me. Now, see, this shouldn't produce guilt or shame or condemnation. This shouldn't produce a mindset in us that's like, I've been neglecting salvation. It should, it, it should be an invitation to just not limit him any longer. Hopefully, you've changed. You know, we change how we see God every day to actually believe that he's a good father, that our salvation is complete that we want to share in him. And we're going to deal with our attitudes so we're not limiting what he wants to do through us. Father, we just thank you so much. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. Thank you for shedding your blood. Teach us how to participate in that at a heart level so that we bring you glory. We begin to be just transformed into exactly what you want us to look like on this planet because that's all we want. Lord, we want you to be glorified. We want the world to look at us and then their eyes immediately deflect to look at you because there's something that you've done within us that causes them to desire you. God, that's my prayer. I just want people to know you. I want people to know your goodness. I want people to receive the salvation that you've made available in Jesus. Thank you for loving us. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right.